we can all agree that climate change uh, is one of the biggest problems that we are facing and many other problems are a result of climate change and all of us uh, all over the world have to take it uh, very seriously and um, all the available solutions have to be uh, used at the same time. Welcome. You're listening to Amplifier, raising voices against rising temperatures. We're a group of Emory students, alumni, and a professor passionate about bringing people together around the current climate crisis. We aim to equip listeners to accelerate climate action by providing accessible information, amplifying diverse voices, and highlighting the intersections of environmental issues. Join us this season as we investigate the climate crisis through a variety of different lenses and topics. Welcome to this episode of Amplifier. My name is Ambika Natarajan, and I will be today's host. This episode has been modified from a podcast initially written and produced by Maggie Lair, Regina Liu, and Max Rottenberg, with their permission. This week we are focusing on Carbon Capture and Storage Technology, or CCS, and we will be speaking with Dr. Hari Manthri Pragada, a research scientist at the University of Pittsburgh. While completing a PhD and a postdoctoral fellowship at Carnegie Mellon, Dr. Manthri Pragada's research focused on thermodynamic and cost modeling of advanced carbon capture technologies for power plants. He also designed the Integrated Environmental Control Model, a tool for measuring the cost performance and emissions of fossil fuel power plants, which will be linked in the show notes. Thank you, Dr. Mantri Pragada, for being here with us today. I'm very happy to be here, and thanks for including me in the conversations. Your work emphasizes post-combustion carbon capture. Could you explain what that means? Sure. Carbon capture comes in different forms. One is uh, post-combustion capture, as you mentioned. There is another one called pre-combustion capture, and then there is an oxy-combustion capture. So coming to post-combustion capture, what is usually called as CO2 capture is actually the process of separating carbon dioxide from other gases, predominantly from nitrogen in the post-combustion case. Where does the CO2 come from, and how does the post-combustion capture process work? Carbon, which is contained in fossil fuel, like coal or natural gas, is burnt in air to generate heat. And that heat later on devil, uh, generates uh, steam, and the steam runs a steam turbine to produce electricity. So when uh, the fossil fuel is burnt in air, the product is carbon dioxide. It's a combustion product. But since mostly air consists of nitrogen, the CO2 which comes out is diluted in nitrogen. So most of that gas is nitrogen with about 10 to 15% of carbon dioxide. And this gas is called flue gas. 
Now, in order to prevent this carbon dioxide from entering into the atmosphere, flue gas is reacted with a chemical solvent, typically containing an amine a chemical, organic chemical called amine, which selectively reacts with carbon dioxide and not with other gases. This step is called absorption. If the amine-containing solvent has reacted with the carbon dioxide, can either the solvent or the carbon dioxide be reused? Now the solvent, which has reacted with the carbon dioxide, needs to be regenerated so that it can be recirculated to capture more CO2 from the flue gas. This regeneration is typically done by supplying heat to the solvent, and the heat comes in the form of steam. This step releases pure carbon dioxide from the solvent. The CO2 is then compressed, transported, and stored in a geologic sequestration site, or it is sold to a third party for uh, using it for enhanced oil recovery, for example. So this combined absorption regeneration process is called as post-combustion CO2 capture technology. In 2019, you were the lead author on a paper that presented techno-economic assessments of two power plants utilizing post-combustion CO2 capture technology, which is linked in the show notes. These were the Boundary Dam Power Station in Saskatchewan, Canada, and the WA Parish Generating Station in Texas. These are the only coal-fired power plants in the world with carbon capture facilities. Could you compare the two projects? Briefly, Boundary Dam Plant, which is in Canada, it's a 100 megawatt demonstration plant for carbon capture. It's a typical post-combustion capture plant where the steam required for regeneration comes from the primary steam cycle thereby reducing the power output of the primary steam turbine. Whereas the Petronova configuration is in Texas, the, the configuration is kind of innovative in that the steam for regeneration comes from a parallel natural gas combined cycle power plant. And because of this, there is no power lost in the primary power plant. So these are two different energy supply configurations and uh, there are some differences in the business models as well. How do the Petronova and Boundary Dam models differ in terms of profitability? So in the paper uh, which you referred to and which I co-wrote with Dr. Ed Rubin and Dr. Haibozai, we showed that the Petronova design of energy supply is more profitable under a wide range of scenarios. Boundary Dam model is cheaper only when the natural gas price is very high and the CO2 tax is also very high. So both of these have to come together to make the boundary dam model cheaper than Petronova model. So the paper shows that the carbon uh, capture can be made competitive with innovative energy supply configurations and business models. That's roughly our paper in a nutshell. Having mentioned carbon taxes, would you say that carbon capture could be viable without a carbon tax? Adding carbon capture to a power plant increases its cost significantly because of the high heat require, required for regeneration of the solvent. In order to make CCS viable, CCS being carbon capture and sequestration, there must be some form of a price on carbon. There must be either a carbon tax and a sufficiently high one at that to make CCS a more viable option than emitting it to the atmosphere, 
or there must be some kind of a price on carbon dioxide. Maybe it comes in the form of a carbon price in a carbon market. Or another incentive is to utilize the carbon dioxide which is captured. For example, the captured carbon dioxide can be sold for use in enhanced oil recovery or for some chemicals production, for example. That adds a revenue stream to offset the cost of CO2. Basically, uh, the short answer is no. Under current scenario, CCS is not viable without uh, carbon tax. However, having said that, it is not just carbon capture and sequestration which would become competitive only with the carbon tax, but other clean energy technologies as well, the renewable energy technologies, will find it difficult to be viable without subsidies or without some kind of carbon price or carbon tax. Within your study, you discuss the levelized cost of electricity, or LCOE, as a metric that can be used to determine if a plant is cost-effective. Can you explain how the LCOE is used, as well as how it relates to carbon taxes? Sure. LCOE is levelized cost of electricity generation. Basically, that is the lowest selling price of electricity, which is required to make the power plant profitable over its entire life. It's kind of the average electricity price required over the whole life of the plant uh, to make it profitable in the market. So it is a combination of capital costs, operating and maintenance costs, and other costs such as emissions taxes or byproduct credits. Any increase in uh, any of these parameters like capital costs or operating costs or uh, taxes increases the LCOE. Higher the LCOE, less competitive that particular power plant will be. In your paper, you refer to a break-even LCOE. How does this relate to the competitiveness of the power plant? When we talk about a break-even LCOE, we must first define what is the base case uh, uh, we are comparing it with. Typically, it is the base case is a similar plant without CCS. So we are comparing a power plant with CCS with a power plant without CCS. In that case, the CO2 tax should be upwards of around $50 per ton to make a coal-fired power plant with, with CCS more profitable than the one without CCS. If the CO2 tax is lower than roughly $50 per ton, then it is actually cheaper to emit CO2 and pay the tax, then install the CCS technology on the power plant and vice versa. But this number of $50 will change depending on what your assumptions are, what's the, it, it depends on the plant design exactly and what is the base case uh, that you are comparing it with. But roughly $50 is a number that you will see a lot in literature and other studies. Shifting more broadly, do you think that carbon capture is a necessary technology? Sure. Carbon capture for many years has been recognized as a vital technological solution towards climate change mitigation. Uh, for example, in the IPCC report of 2014, it was shown that without carbon capture, the costs of mitigation would be way higher than with carbon capture. Other reports also arrived at, the, at a similar conclusion 
that carbon capture is an essential tool in a host of tools required for climate change mitigation. Do you see carbon capture as a primary solution to climate change that we should all try to rally behind? It's not about whether to use carbon capture or renewable energy or nuclear energy or other uh, low carbon energy. It is a matter of using all of these together. And the lowest cost of mitigation would be possible only with carbon capture and sequestration right now. So given that, it's actually a little disappointing to see that no large scale power plant in the world today implements carbon capture and sequestration. There have been only two major CCS demonstration power plants, Boundary Dam and Petronova that we talked about earlier, Boundary Dam in Canada and Petronova in the US. The number is higher, the number of demonstration plants is higher for industrial carbon capture, for example, in ethanol generation plants or ammonia production plants or fuels production plants. But it is still at a much smaller scale than what is urgently required. What can be done to encourage the use of this technology? Is it too inefficient to gain widespread support? Most countries recognize the importance of CCS. However, uh, lack of clear policies worldwide is one of the main reasons for CCS not being implemented. Um, having said that, there are a number of projects recently, some of them power plants, which have been announced in the US following the 45Q tax incentive regulation that was passed a few years ago by the federal government. So it basically incentivizes any industry or power plant which sequesters carbon dioxide. On the technological side, however, there is quite a bit of lab-scale research that's been going on for years. It's been going on robustly all over the world. And mainly the focus is on finding materials for CO2 capture that will lower the regeneration energy and eventually reduce the costs. Broadly speaking, even though the progress of CCS implementation is much slower than what is needed, there seems to be still some hope if we go by the willingness of many governments to consider this option and also by the amount of lab-based research going on for developing CO2 capture materials. So the efficiency of CCS technology itself isn't a concern? So it follows from the previous topic we discussed. Any new technology faces challenges on several levels, and this is more so for CCS. The challenges can be at a technical level or a market level or policy level. Technical challenges for CCS, again, as we touched upon previously, are the high energy and cost penalties required for regeneration. A lot of research is going on in this field, mainly to find materials which require lower regeneration energy compared to the currently existing ones. Another area of research is in improving the overall process, uh, not just materials, but the overall CO2 capture process by thing called process intensification. So through which the overall energy, energy penalty is reduced. It doesn't matter how the energy penalty is reduced, either by materials or by redesigning the process. But particularly for CCS, the technical challenges are minor compared to the bigger challenge, which is a lack of clear policy on carbon capture. So over the past 20 years, let us say, 
policy intensives for CCS have been few and far between. And this is the real challenge because the world is not going to switch from fossil fuels in the next couple of decades at least. If fossil fuels are here to stay, are certain fossil fuels better than others? There has been some discussion in the media, for example, about natural gas being a potentially cleaner alternative to coal. Fortunately, many countries are moving away from coal, but coal is being replaced with natural gas, which is a carbon-containing fossil fuel. So even though uh, it's a low-carbon fuel, it still emits significant amounts of carbon dioxide. It's not a question of fuel switching or carbon capture. It should be both. And one should also consider the fugitive methane emissions, which are linked with natural gas production. And uh, as is known, methane is a bigger threat to climate than carbon dioxide. We can say that achieving negative emissions urgently will not be possible without the use of CO2 capture, at least at point sources like power plants and industries. Has the success of renewables such as wind and solar in recent years offset some of the setbacks that we have seen with CCS technology? Recent past has seen a significant push towards developing renewable sources of electricity because of which the cost of wind and solar has been continuously falling, which is wonderful. But the same should have been done with carbon capture. Again, I refer to the reports by different organizations that the cost of climate change mitigation without CCS is going to be at least an order of magnitude higher. Like my previous advisor, Dr. Ed Rubin, likes to say, there is one challenge for CO2 capture, uh, that is policy, policy, and policy. Is there anything else that you think our audience should know about carbon capture or climate change in general? We can all agree that climate change is one of the biggest problems that we are facing, and many other problems are a result of climate change. and all of us uh, all over the world have to take it uh, very seriously and um, all the available solutions have to be uh, used at the same time again uh, like i said before it's not a question of this or that it should be the use of all of them so if it comes to the energy field it is carbon capture renewable energy nuclear energy fuel switching biomass and so on so all of these have to be done together and uh, carbon capture is a vital tool which should not be neglected at all anymore. Thank you, Dr. Mantri Pragada, for your insight regarding some of the challenges in mainstreaming CCS technology. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for giving me this opportunity. Today, we reviewed how post-combustion CO2 capture works. We then discussed how the greatest challenge for implementing the technology is the lack of supporting policy. For example, a well-designed carbon tax could allow CCS to be cost competitive. Before we conclude this episode, it is worth mentioning that Petronova's carbon capture facility will be shutting down indefinitely in June 2021, given its lack of profitability. This is a setback since this was one of two coal-fired power plants in the world employing such a technology. We hope that this episode provides our listeners with a better understanding of the challenges that CCS faces, even while it remains vital for climate change mitigation. This week's episode was originally written and produced by Maggie Lair, Regina Liu, and Max Rodenberg. It was edited and reproduced by Ambika Natarajan.
The music was provided by Zollerberger Schmitz and the graphics by Tyler Stern. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. You can learn more about us on our website and YouTube channel, Emory Climate Talks. Stay tuned for our next episode, which will break down greenhouse gas emissions accounting frameworks from an equity perspective.